This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Hi, Blue Wire listeners. I'm Greg Olson. I'm excited to partner with Blue Wire to bring you TE1, a podcast where I interview the tight ends who have revolutionized the position. Listen in as I have raw, in-depth conversations with the all-time greats like Shannon Sharp, Tony Gonzalez, Travis Kelsey, and George Kittle. We'll explore how the tight end position has changed over the last 60 years and what it takes to be the very best. Subscribe to TE1 from Blue Wire Studios today so you're ready for the August premiere. Cubs-related podcast presented by CubsInsider.com. My name is Corey. I am joined, as always, by Brendan, and we are coming to you on Sunday, August 2nd, after the Cubs complete a series sweep at Wrigley Field over the Pittsburgh Pirates, winning on Sunday in socially distanced walk-off fashion. The Cubs are now 7-2. and two. They have won all three series that they have played in the 2020 season, and they currently own the best winning percentage in the National League. Brendan, I gotta say, that all makes me pretty happy. That will do, Corey. And the rotation continues to look good. The offense is grinding at bats. Saw some good performances out of the bullpen, and we'll, of course, touch on that. But all together, man, like 7-2, and two, let's go. Yeah, so... We will, again, go through uh, very quickly, just a couple moments on these three games, just to set the table for the longer discussion. We will obviously talk about Yu Darvish's good outing, a nice bounce back outing for him after his first of the year. Tyler Chatwood was fantastic on Saturday, his second straight, really great outing, and another really good outing for John Lester. Can you believe that, mm-hmm. huh? Who would have yeah. thunk? Mm-hmm. Oh, Who would have thought, Corey? That's who. Uh, we'll <laughs> talk about that, too, and we will talk about the offense, continuing to do some nice things, some really uh, good individual performances there that we want to hone in on. And then I think, at least for now, maybe we'll just uh, have like uh, every episode, we spend a little bit of time on the bullpen, just to kind of see where we're at. Status check, the Cubs bullpen edition. Uh, on on this weekend, at least for the most part, not as much of a dumpster fire, Brendan. Uh, yeah. So that's exciting. The fire is, you know, diminishing in the dumpster, I guess, maybe. A little bit. Guys are stepping up. It's, it's, it's a process, Corey. It's always a process. Corey, it's always yeah. a process. There, there's definitely still some bad uh, and, mm-hmm. you know, yeah. p- perhaps some good. So we'll take a look at that. And it's uh, it's a process. So that's how I think we'll go with things. But let's just get started on exactly what happened here this weekend. The Cubs winning the first game in this series 6-3 to on Friday night behind the arm of Yu Darvish. A very good start for him. His first win of the year, six innings, two hits, no earned runs, one walk, and seven strikeouts. Very good for him. Uh, Kyle Ryan did allow a run to follow Rowan Wick with a nice inning and a complete disaster for Craig Kimbrell that we will definitely talk about and that 
that I definitely warned everybody was going to happen. Uh, anyway, uh, how the Cubs got some of their runs in this game. Jason Kipnis hitting his first home run as a Chicago Cub. You may have heard before that he is from Northbrook, Illinois, and grew up a mm, Cub fan. Did not know Can that. You believe that? Did not know that, Corey. Uh, anyway, Javi with an RBI single in this one. Jason Hayward with a two RBI single in this one. And Anthony Rizzo drove in the sixth run with a RBI single himself. Two RBIs on that one. So that is how the Cubs offense did the job. Six to three, the final on Friday. On Saturday, the Cubs holding off a storm from the Pirates in the ninth inning, uh, but they do win this one four to three. The Cubs getting their runs in this one on an Ian Happ homer and a Javi Baez homer in the bottom of the third inning, and that was the third homer for both of those gentlemen on the 2020 season. In the bottom of the eighth, Kyle Schwarber provided, which would turn out to be very needed insurance runs with his second home run of the year. That made it four to nothing. The Cubs pitching on the day, Tyler Chatwood, who we will definitely hone on in hone in on, excuse me, and have a longer discussion on goes six and two-thirds inning just barely not able to get out of that seventh inning the Uh, command kind of failed him just at the end of that one which is a real shame because he allowed three hits no earned runs two walks and 11 strikeouts that is a career high for Tyler Chatwood and that is two straight good starts in a row only two starts but in a 60 game season worth noting that Tyler's ERA sits at 0.71 on the season, uh, a super important development to keep an eye on. Jeremy Jeffress with a good inning out of an inning and a third out of the bullpen here. No hits and no walks with a strikeout. Kyle Ryan struggled on Saturday, going just a third of an inning, three hits and three earned runs. Rowan Wick came in to get the save two-thirds of an inning, no hits, just a walk. So that is your bullpen report for Saturday. And then the Cubs completing the sweep on Sunday, two to one, the final there. The Pirates took an early lead uh, off of John Lester with a Kevin Newman home run, but John settled the F down after that. He goes six innings, four hits, one earned run, one walk, and four strikeouts to compare to Tyler Chatwood. John Lester's ERA sitting just a tick behind Tyler at 0.82. But Brendan, having multiple guys, even after just a couple starts with a sub one ERA, is a nice place to be, Uh, especially when those two guys aren't the two guys you're uh, probably going to lean on Mm -hmm. to give you uh, the the most uh, good pitching performances as the year goes on. So that's a pretty good place for this rotation to B, uh, the Cubs getting their runs in this one. They tied the game in the bottom of the fifth on back-to-back doubles from Wilson Contreras and Kyle Schwarber. And then Javi Baez in the bottom of the 11th. There was a rain delay. We got to see the silly new extra innings rule with the runners starting on second base. And Javi comes through. David Bodie started the bottom of the 11th as the runner on second. Anthony Rizzo moved him to third with a deep fly ball to right field. And then despite having uh, several infielders uh, with the infield in to try to prevent Javi from doing just this. He ripped a line drive through the middle and the Cubs walked it off. The bullpen report for uh, Sunday, Casey Sadler with one and two-thirds of an inning, one hit, one walk, no runs, and a strikeout. Dan Winkler, one and a third, no hits, one walk, and two strikeouts. Pitched out of a nice jam, so that was good to see from Winkler. Uh, Tapera, one inning, 
of work, one hit, no runs, no walks, no strikeouts, and Jeffress, another nice inning, uh, one inning, no hits, no runs, no walks. Jeffress actually picks up the W in this one. So that is your report. Uh, Brendan, before we get into the individual performances and the, and the stuff that we really want to hone in on in this one, I, I do just want to make sure that we take a moment to enjoy that socially distanced walk-off celebration was awesome. Yeah, that was fantastic. And kind of what you want to see with all the news around the league with COVID spreading yes. with the Marlins, with the Cardinals. So you want to see guys take it a little bit more seriously. And I think if they're fortunate to get through this week, they're, they're, they're going to see that. I think you have to see that or the season is just going to be canceled and these guys are not going to make their money. So socially distancing celebrations are going to be the new norm, Corey, and who better to do, to do it than Javi Baez and the Cubs? Yeah, and it, it's it's a very, you know, we knew that this was going to be something to monitor and it was going to be a tricky situation, but it's, it's, it's very disappointing to hear the reports, uh, you know, about both the Marlins and the Cardinals who have had the most yeah. significant outbreaks here uh, of any of the teams that, you know, a lot of players going out, going to casinos is one of the things reported. I mean, come on. Parties. That's ridiculous, Yeah, Corey. before the, the, the season resumed and there was reporting. Did you hear the, uh, did you hear the Cardinals response to that, John Mazeliak? Did you see yes, that? Yes, I did. He said it was I mean, sickening that people were trying to figure out the I mean, come on, origin of the outbreak. Yeah. And it's sickening to contact trace. Like this is, this is the problem when you delineate responsibility to the players and to the teams. That can't happen. You're going to get instances like this. You need more control over the teams. That cannot happen, Corey. Yeah, and just very disappointing because from everything that we have heard, you know, a team like the Cubs has taken this very seriously. A lot of the players and, you know, David Ross talking about how the Cubs players are taking this very seriously. If they see people without their mask when they're in the hotel or anything like that, they point it out. They try to hang out together, you know, to still get that sense of social interaction and camaraderie, but not expand beyond that because they want this season to get going and they don't want to put each other at risk. So when you hear that teams like the Marlins and the Cardinals had players who were not doing that, some of those reports unverified. So, you know, you don't (laughs) want to spread too many rumors, but I did see a photo of at least uh, Mikolas and another Cardinals pitcher, you know, taking photos with fans out at the lake or wherever with no masks I mean, and stuff like on. that. Cannot and, happen. Yeah, I cannot mean, look, happen. like, if, if this is supposed to work, that stuff just can't happen. Um, so that that's very disappointing. And, and certainly, uh, as we record this on Sunday night, something to keep an eye on. The Cubs are supposed to go to St. Louis next weekend. I... I I, I, I don't know what they're going to do, but at least as we record know. this right now, that certainly seems uh, to be something that would be in jeopardy. Uh, I know John Lester has already expressed concern about even going to St. Louis, uh, yeah. you know, with what's going on. So I'm at sure least keep he's an eye saying on that, that and the team is saying affect that too. the Cubs schedule coming up here. Uh, and obviously the league as a whole needs to <laughs> tighten up. But let's move to talking about uh, oh, last thing I just wanted to point out. I, I think that there's a GIF, maybe at Cubs did it, or or if not, someone will have it, maybe me later. 
but there's a they they zoomed in on Javi in this thing, and like right afterward, the dugout's coming at him, and you can see him <laughs> yelling six feet, six no. feet, like stay away, <laughs> and they're all just like have their hands up and stuff, but nobody touches each other. It's great. That was really really funny. Yeah. Uh, and again, good to see something that I think you can laugh at because at least from everything that we've been told from the players, the beat reporters, people around this Cubs team, they're not breaking the rules. They're taking this seriously off the field. So you can, I think, enjoy it when they're having a little fun uh, with some of this stuff on the field because you know that off the field they're doing everything they can to continue not having uh, any players test positive and uh, to continue to be able to have this season go on. Um, but let's talk about the starting pitching in in this series. And, you know, I, re- I think really the starting pitching for this team in general, which has been for the most part very, very good in these first nine games. Uh, but really not much more you could ask for from this staff. I mean, you know, maybe a little bit of length just given the bullpen struggles. But, you know, you get you get a quality start from each of these guys. They each go at least six innings. None of them give up uh, more than a single run. Just Lester was the only run given up by a starting pitcher in this entire series. Uh, And, you know, they keep the walk totals down, just four walks between the three of them, one each for Darvish and Lester, two for Chatwood. Uh, Chatwood, though, racking up the strikeout totals to kind of balance that out. And I'm not I think seeing Darvish come back from that start that, that he had the first time, obviously good to see. Uh, you know, still the command was not as precise, I think, as he would like, but but much less of that like kind of like effectively wild variety. He was really good mm-hmm. in this start on Friday. But I think and I'll I'll let you talk about what Darvish did in terms of his pitches and stuff like that if you like, but I, I think the place to start is Chatwood. Like, you guys know what I'm going to say yeah. about Lester, right? Like, we'll, we'll do it, and I'm going to say it, but we don't have to start there. That That's <laughs> – we don't have to start there every time. <laughs> um, but I don't think, Brendan, it's possible to overstate how important Tyler Chatwood being that good would be to this team. Do you, do you think that's fair? Because these first two starts were not just like – you know, whether you consider him the third or fourth guy in the rotation doesn't really matter. Um, this was not like middle, back end of the rotation stuff. This was really good stuff. And what we've seen in these first two outings is a lot of why the Cubs signed him in the first place and why mm-hmm. a lot of people kind of kind of got hyped up with the stuff that he was bringing. So before I throw it to you, Brendan, I'll end with this. Mm-hmm. In his two starts this season, Tyler Chatwood, 12 and two-thirds innings pitch, just six hits allowed, the one earned run from that first start, four walks, and 19 strikeouts. I mean, Brendan, wow. that'll play. Wow. Not to compare Chatwood directly to Arietta, but there is one particular trend that the league cannot give up. They cannot give up pitchers, starting pitchers who throw fast, who have more than three pitches, and have wicked breaking stuff. And that does represent what Arietta brought to the Cubs when he was traded. The hype was there. The realistic possibility of him turning into what he became was low, but he did it anyway. Because when you have a four-seamer, a sinker, a cutter, a, a curveball, a changeup, a slider to go along with it. You have so many different ways to get pitchers out. The league has an issue 
letting that go. And so the Cubs were able to turn Arietta into that ace, into one of the best pitchers, because they unlocked what he was missing with Baltimore. With Chatwood, again, not to compare him to Arietta. You don't want to do that. You don't want to mix your words there. But what does Chatwood bring? He brings a 95-plus mile-per-hour four-seamer, a sinker, a cutter, a curve, a slider, a change. That is very reminiscent to the exact portfolio that those quote-unquote Arietas bring. That's why Chatwood is still with the team despite all of those command issues over the last two years. It's hard to quit a pitcher who has stuff like this. Chatwood this year not only is throwing with better command, but he's throwing a completely different pitch portfolio. Corey, he's throwing a sinker almost once every other pitch. Once every other pitch. In the last two years, he was only throwing sinkers about once every three to four pitches. It's a big increase, and he's doing that instead of throwing four-seamers. He's thrown a four-seamer this year once every 11 pitches. He threw a four-seamer last year once every three pitches. So he's throwing more sinkers instead of four-seamers, and he's also throwing three times as many cutters. Corey, you saw the pitch. You saw the cutter. You saw the two-seamer. You saw the pitching ninja combine that together. When they're thrown out of the same tunnel with 95 miles per hour of velocity, then... Yeah, very lethal. Then the 91, 92 mile per hour cutter to go down the exact opposite way. You can't hit that. And we're not even talking about the curveball that he's been known for. It's the same. Corey, this is like, I feel like we're going through like a repeat, a mirror of sorts with how Arietta developed. And again, Arietta had a one year, almost a one year sample before he turned into that 2015 second half pitcher. So it's not a fair comparison. But the only reason I bring that up is because. What did Arietta do? Threw more, cut- threw more cutters. Got the curve to complement his cutter as a result. He threw less four-seamers and said th- he threw more sinkers, and so he became predominantly a cutter-sinker-curveball guy. This is the exact same thing we're seeing with Chatwood with command. So you have to be excited about it. It may be a little bit different to expect him to perform at this level the entire year, but Absent of any like command issues, if he's throwing these pitches with command, you can expect these types of numbers. I really do think that if he continues the command for him, that's always been the issue. But so far in the first two starts, I don't see anything out of the norm that would make me a little bit discouraged that we're not going to continue seeing the command. Yeah. So one thing that I want to point out is looking at the data on baseball savant from Chatwood on Saturday he got uh, 45 swings in this outing on Saturday, 20 whiffs. The yeah. cutter yeah. got 10 swings, 7 whiffs on yep. just the cutter. They swung four times at the curveball. They whiffed all four times. 20 whiffs in this game. To that point, Corey, to that point, the average whiff rate for a cutter and this is the total number of cutters thrown in the league for each pitcher, is around, give or take, 14 to 18%. So far on the year, and especially in that last start, he was getting 30% whiffs for every cutter he threw. That is double the major league rate, and that's not even giving the, the, the qualified extent of lethality of that pitch. Just because he has a double whiff rate, that's a huge increase, dude. 
15% of league average to 30%, that is a huge increase. You know, one thing I want to point out about Chatwood, too, is he looks like someone that has more confidence. I think, obviously, it would be oh, impossible yeah. oh, for him yeah. not to, given how his Cubs career started. But he just looks confident out there. And and when you watch him pitch just from a, a body language perspective, and obviously having seen him a lot over the last few years, he looks like a more confident person. He looks like someone who's feeling himself a little bit, and he deserves to. Um, this is one of those things that's, that we, we've had situations like this in the past with some of these guys. I mean, Darvish is a really good example, but it's so easy to root for Chatwood right? Like he came over and struggled mightily when his Cubs career began, but he's accepted the the role changes that the Cubs have put on him over the years. Yeah. He's worked really hard with Hadavi and this pitching infrastructure staff to hone in on the problems and work with his pitches and work on his repertoire. And anytime you see a guy like that, that you then see the results coming and, you know, this is another guy who, you know, we're not hearing him complain about his role. We're not hearing him pout about, you know, being a, a reliever or being asked to be kind of a swingman type guy when they've asked him to do that. And, you know, he's getting the opportunity and he's making the most of it so far. Like you said, like it's only yeah. two starts and, you know, to just sit and expect to see outings like we saw on Saturday for the rest of the year, um, you know, and, and and just assume that there, there will be no uh, recurrence of even small command issues, you know, isn't fair to him, right? Like, but this is a guy who's had this stuff. It, it would be a lot harder to believe that he can continue doing this if he didn't have the stuff. But like we're pointing out, and, and Brendan is pointing out with his repertoire, and Brendan has been pointing out for a long time, as have others, you know, with his uh, well, spin you. rates and things like that. Um, you know, this is a guy who you're, you're not exactly surprised to see this. He's got really good stuff. He brings the velo. He has several pitches to work off of. And I, I really can't encourage you, like, go look at that um, pitching ninja gif. I think I retweeted it on the Cubs Insider account, at Real it's Cubs arts. Insider. It, it's it's definitely on the pitching ninja page. But the the, the tunneling and, and the difficulty that you would face as a hitter trying to hit that overlay uh, is a lot. And you can, it's, you know, I I often mention how you can kind of visualize why Kyle Hendricks is so good when you look at those overlays, but like this is a really good one on on Chatwood. And it it really illustrates like when he's going like this and he's able to command these pitches, got so many pitches that can play off of Mm -hmm. one another and keep hitters obviously just completely off balance, which we saw again as the he sets a career high for strikeouts with 11 and gets 20 whiffs on the evening. Yeah. But yeah, like I said, to kind of begin this, I, I really don't think you can overstate how important this would be. Uh, because again, like when we entered the season, uh, you know, I think again, to, to differing degrees with the three of them, but you were looking at Hendricks and Darvish to be that kind of top of the rotation guys. You know, if the Cubs were going to have Cy Young candidates, you'd think it would come from one of them. And you were just hoping that the the other three guys, again, in, in different ways to different degrees, would keep the team in games, give you some quality starts, and, and just keep a, a stable rotation together, right? Uh, what we've seen from all three of them, right? Mills still has one more start to go through this second turn, but Chatwood 
and Lester in particular, they're giving you more than that so far. Um, Chatwood certainly racking up more strikeouts than John is, but these guys look good, and they're doing more right now than just keeping the team in the game, um, and that's really, really exciting. And I mean, if Chatwood is anywhere near, like literally <laughs> anywhere near how good he was on Saturday, that really changes, I think, your maybe perspective on this team or this outlook for this team, because right now he is not bringing middle of the rotation stuff. He's certainly not bringing back of the rotation stuff. What he's delivered in these two starts is top of the rotation stuff uh, for the Chicago Cubs. So that is very uh, exciting, I think, to to say the least. Um, but Brendan, did you have anything that stood out mm-hmm. to you in the Darvish outing? Obviously, Thank it was a better outing than yeah. his first. Uh, and, and, you know, getting those seven strikeouts was particularly nice to see. Uh, want to focus on the fastball with Darvish. The only reason I want to focus on that is because last year during his struggles, he scrapped more or less the fastball in favor of the cutter. And so, this starts and in his first start some people were a little worried about his command in that first start but we brought up the example of the command with Darvish is more or less represented by the frequency of his fastball usage so in his most recent starts against Pittsburgh he threw 37 cutters and he threw 25 fastballs of the sinker and four seam variety that is within his career norm range. And not only did he throw it around 40%, but he got a ton of swings and he got whips with those pitches as well. So like Chatwood, Darvish got 18 whips. A little, was it two less than Chatwood? So the same frequency of whips. And he got seven whips, Corey, on 15 swings when he threw 37 cutters. So it was almost like we were watching Darvish 2.0 when when Chatwood was pitching. But when Darvish is on, he's able to locate his fastball. And that's what he did. And he did so with velocity averaging 95 miles per hour. And he looked exactly more or less what he was doing during his successful stretch last year in his second half. So when you see Chatwood, when you see Lester commanding, when you see Chatwood striking out guys, and when you see Alec Mills stepping up and Kyle Hendricks despite giving up that bomb against Cincinnati, the rotation, Corey, is kind of in the first few starts trending towards the upper end of that projection. And we talked about the projections before the season. And the lineup was more stable projection-wise. And one of the reasons why the Cubs did not have a favorable Zips projection or Pakoda in the 90-plus win tier was because it was difficult to pinpoint what the rotation would do. Because Darvish had a bad 2018, because Chatwood's been trashed the last two years, and because Lester was getting older and Mills was really not even a a question of whether he'd be in the rotation. So that was why the projections were lower. So when the rotation gets to this point of reaching their upper end of the projection, proportionally, the Cubs' projected win total is going to go up. And the cool thing about this is that these performances, this pitching performance, looks, I think, sustainable. I think what we've seen from Darvish looks like what we saw last year. That looks sustainable. Hendricks throwing 89-90 looks sustainable. Chatwood, fingers crossed with the command, looks sustainable. Lester is a little bit of a different discussion, and he's been pitching fantastic, but you want to see a little bit more whiffs 
with Lester. But if he's commanding the way he's been doing, he's your fourth or fifth starter. That's exactly what you want, Corey. So you have to be encouraged by this rotation because there were so many question marks going into the year. John is always at least the third starter in my heart, uh, no matter what. <laughs> but just I'm just saying it for the record. But yeah, yeah. I, I think it's difficult to be anything but thrilled with the way this this rotation has gone uh, almost two times through here. And just to you know, the, my my only real thoughts on on Lester on Sunday. Um, were that, you know, that was a, a gutsy performance. It looked like he was fighting it a little bit. Uh, in yeah, I was a little nervous there in the first Yeah, inning. and they're he in really the early going, out. you know, and he had 45 pitches, I think, through two innings or something close to that. And, you know, ends up giving you six innings, and he probably could have gone longer in theory. He ended up with 89. Uh, you know, I, I think they're still being careful with his his workload, especially early here, um, you know, given uh, we've seen a lot of pitcher injuries and a lot of, I think, concern with the the shutdown, the short ramp up. So, you know, especially for someone, uh, a veteran like Lester, you're going to want to be careful with, you know, not having him throw 120 pitches right out the gate here. Um, but for him to be able to come back from how many pitches he threw in those first couple innings and, and still give you a quality start, still get through that sixth inning uh, was really good. You know, he's, he's keeping that walk total down, only four hits, obviously gave up the home run, but really adjusted very nicely. And I think, again, like so far in these two starts, I mean, obviously, he didn't give up a hit in the first outing. Uh, I think he's given you everything that you want uh, and, you know, pretty much what we said to expect from him in, in this season. He's, he's not getting as many whiffs, so he did have four strikeouts, which was more uh, than that first start. Only, only three whiffs but, on strikeouts. Yeah, yeah. but— especially in some of those strikeouts, he's doing, you know, classic Lester stuff. You know, he's painting the he's edge. Painting. Wilson yeah. is getting him some extra strikes, which is... More than usual, by the yeah, way. Yeah, which is good, obviously. You know, we've talked about Wilson's framing, which is markedly improved uh, in the early oh, going here fantastic. in 2020. But again, like I think in both of these starts, like Lester's doing the things that you want to see from him. The, the command has been pretty good. And he's been able to spot on those edges a lot. And again, I, I keep you know using the same kind of line of thinking. But so far in 2020, he's done exactly what I expect, which is you know obviously he's not working with the stuff that he once was, but he's going to figure out a ma- way way to make it work and make it productive for this team. And so far, he doesn't get a quality start in that first one because he only went five innings, uh, but he didn't allow any hits. And then in this one, he gives you a quality start, four hits and one run. Great, sign me up. That yep. sounds great. Yep, yep, and yep, yep. Uh, I do just want to point out, I, I put out this gif on my Twitter, at CF Cubs Related, but when he went over to cover first on one of those balls, uh, he was busting it, Brendan. I don't know if you saw that, but he was sh- he's not able to hit anymore, so he can't show off his all-around athleticism, but he was, he was putting on the wheels for, for that one. That was pretty good. This podcast is sponsored by Roman Health. Talking about sensitive health issues such as hair loss and ED can be extremely challenging and uncomfortable. Usually, we just ignore the problem or even blame ourselves. We might even ignore it due to stress at work or at home. But with Roman, it is easy to talk about it with a healthcare professional who can prescribe real medication. It's simple, safe, and totally discreet. With Roman, you can get a free online evaluation and ongoing care for hair loss and ED, all from the comfort and privacy of your home. A healthcare professional will work with you to find the best treatment plan, and if medication is appropriate, Roman will ship it to you with free two-day shipping. 
The whole process is very straightforward, simple, and discreet. Getting started is simple. Just go to GetRoman.com slash Cubs and complete an online visit. Go to Roman.com slash Cubs today. If approved, you'll get $15 off your first order of ED treatment. That's GetRoman.com slash Cubs. GetRoman.com slash Cubs. But now want to shift to what we saw on the offensive side of the baseball this weekend. Uh, One thing to note, Chris Bryant missing those last two games in this series uh, had what the Cubs described as gastrointestinal issues. Uh, You can figure out what they mean by that if you uh, just think about it for a second. And, you know, again, just showing how seriously they're taking things and how careful they want to be. Uh, they went through the the COVID tests just to make sure, because uh, I think that is one of a possible symptom of it. Uh, I don't think they ever feared that Brian had it, but just making sure. So he rested for these two games, making sure that he got the negative tests, which he did on Sunday. I think they'll do that uh, one more time, and then he he should be back. Uh, but he did have a nice game in on Friday, uh, got a hit, walked twice, uh, and, you know, certainly in the early going here. Uh, it's been nice to see how often Brian and Rizzo, Brizzo as they're known, have gotten on together. Uh, I think that's obviously a very strong start to any lineup. Uh, but really, you know, I think a lot of what we've been talking about throughout the early going here is what we saw this weekend. Uh, but really, the thing that continues to stand out to me and perhaps is the most important thing to me in the early going here is Ian Happ getting as many starts as he has and how good he's looked. Uh, Again, like I I don't know when it's too early or too late to start looking at some of these numbers, but, you know, leaving Sunday's game, Happ's got a 286 batting average, three home runs, and an OPS that's over 1,000. So what's really important to me is, as we've always talked about, like his ceiling is just so high and he's a versatile player, and for him to be given this opportunity, I believe he started seven of the nine games uh, in terms of being in the starting lineup, and he's making the most of it, Brendan. He is really taking control of the playing time that he's been given, and I think right now, especially given the way that Almora has looked and the opportunities that he's gotten, Hap is making it very difficult on David Ross, I think, to keep him out of the lineup and not just put him in center field every day. Hap has looked incredible, Corey. I mean, you see some of the changes he made last year, how they're carrying over, but when he's batting leadoff, there's a good reason for that. He's seeing pitches, he's driving pitches when they're inside the strike zone, and he looks more confident up there at the dish. I mean, he's swinging at pitches outside the zone once every four times. I mean, that is well within the range of the top 90% of baseball players at the plate. So that's extremely good to see. And his zone contact is around league average too. So he's locked in, I think is the best way to put it. He's driving pitches to center field to a little bit to that left field gap as well. And it's just encouraging because he's not just one guy swinging at fewer pitches outside the zone. And I do want to point out Javi Baez, Corey. I know he's pretty good. I've heard he's pretty good, but I know a lot of people want to focus on his strikeout rate and his whiffs. And yeah, they have been problematic in years past, but just because he's like whiffing a lot 
does not mean that even a slight decrease in that whiff is significant because it is extremely significant. This year so far, what is this? Through 30, what is this? Through 40 plate appearances, he's swinging at pitches outside the zone at a 35% rate. His career rate, Corey, is 44%. And so you talked about when is an appropriate sample size. An appropriate sample size for plate discipline metrics are around 50 plate appearances to 100 plate appearances. So Javi getting to around 50 is approaching that sample of being like, okay, can we expect this in the short term going forward, absent of any extreme changes? And I think right now it passes the eye test. I think the first few at-bats of the first three games it did stand out. He was laying off sliders a little bit more. There were some at-bats where, yes, he did chase those. But the grand sum of it, he's not chasing as much as he used to. And it showed, I go back to that first series when he had two base hits to the right field with two strikes. That is suggesting he's seeing the ball better. He's more controlled at the plate. And there are a few videos where his mechanics do look a little bit more relaxed. So him with Ian Happ and Rizzo atop the lineup when KB is out. And when KB is in, he's doing the same thing with that plate discipline. This lineup is grinding, Corey. It's absolutely demolishing pitcher stamina in the first four to five innings. And it does suck that we're in a COVID-shortened season. But those grinding at-bats, I think, are going to have a greater effect because you have pitchers who are just not in the best shape right now. We're seeing injuries across the board with pitchers. So having them go through multiple pitches, these pitchers multiple pitches in the first five innings is going to leave the Cubs even at a greater advantage if they continue this approach. Have you ever heard of DealDash.com? It's the best, most honest bidding site where you can win things you never expect at a price you never believe. They have over 1,000 auctions every day on electronics, appliances, beauty products, home decor, and even cars. Here's how it works. It's like an auction, but every item starts at $0 and only goes up one cent every time you bid. The kicker is that the auction clock restarts every 10 seconds. That means every time you bid, everyone else has 10 seconds to answer or the item is yours. If you go ahead and buy now, DealDash is offering our listeners an extra 100 free bids upon signup on top of their other discount. DealDash.fm backwards slash blue wire. That is D-E-A-L-D-A-S-H dot F-M backwards slash blue wire. Sports are coming back, and so are your chances to bet on your favorite teams and events. Major League Baseball and the Cubs are finally kicking off their season, and there's no better place to start wagering than our exclusive partners, Bet Online. Check out all the ads, futures, and props to bet on, all available 24-7. And with the return of sports, Bet Online sat down with former pro players Eddie George, Harold Reynolds, and seven-time NBA champ Robert Ory. See what they had to say and what it will be like playing without fans in a series that they're calling Fandemic. Visit betonline.ag for all your odds and up-to-date sports news. Remember to use promo code BLUEWIRE to receive your new welcome bonus. That's promo code BLUEWIRE. BetOnline, your online wagering expert. Yeah, and I just want to point out, I mean, he walloped that ball on (laughs) Saturday. I mean, that was an absolute... His the rocket. sound of that bat was unreal. Onto that roof, like above the greenery and that batter's yeah. eye thing in, in center field. I mean, that was just an absolute tank 
that he hit on that ball. Um, but yeah, I mean, again, like I, I think that the the offense has continued that grinding approach. Um, you know, they struggled with Brault to start this game on Sunday. They're they're not going to be perfect in in every game. Um, but in general, you know, they've, they've done nothing to suggest that you shouldn't just be really confident in them to work counts, run up pitch counts and get to guys eventually. Um, and I think, you know, the things that really stand out, uh, first of all, you're doing all of this without Chris Bryant contributing, contributing at the level that he will, uh, once he comes back from his gastrointestinal issue, uh, and you're seeing exactly really what you want to see. Rizzo looks really good. Rizzo looks still locked in. Javi's Javi. Wilson Contreras continues to look really good at the plate and to kind of be that guy that that we were all expecting him to be. Um, You know, Schwarber's ebbed and flowed maybe a a little more than some of those guys, but still looks really good. We already talked about Hap and the things that he's doing. No, Schwarber's looked great, dude. Schwarber's looked great. Like, even... Even Schwarber is making more contact. He's making contact 80% of the time. That's better than the average by like six percentage points. That's a huge deal for him too. Yeah, and you've got a guy like David Bodie playing well in in the opportunities yeah. that he's getting. Uh, so I think that's that's all really encouraging for this group. And, you know, you, you still are going to have some things to work out. Um, you know, Souza got that that one hit, I think, in his first at bat as a Cub, but, you know, hasn't really looked good at the plate since then. Hayward struggled a bit at the plate. Uh, so David Ross is still going to have to move some of those guys around. You're going to have to see, uh, you know, Jason Kipnis's playing time. We'll see how that looks going forward. Um, but I, I think in terms of the big guys, they, they, they all look really good. And when Chris Bryant gets back, he's going to look good as well. So I, I think that this offense is, is really showing you that you should be confident in them. Uh, and I, I think it's going to be fun to watch this group going forward. But yeah, I, I, I really can't, I can't get over like what Hap is doing. He just looks so good. I mean, he's taking walks, he's going to the opposite field, he's hitting home runs. He, he just looks so good. And uh, again, this is another guy who's, you know, he's accepted many different roles with this team. He's been sent down. Uh, and right now he's playing like a guy that does not want to be taken out of the lineup and that is 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 making it very difficult uh for David Ross to make such a decision and you know again like we've we've done this a lot I'm not gonna I'm not gonna turn this into uh, a discussion just about Almora but Hap should be the center fielder Hap should be playing every day yes he should be the everyday center fielder and kudos to Ross for doing that yeah I mean he is doing that and and again like in in the 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 I think two starts that Almora's had it's it's been against lefties and you know they I know that the company line is wanting to get him going against left-handers but I got to be honest with you guys and and I, I know I'm not his biggest fan as a player he's a wonderful person and teammate and I I want him to succeed but he looks like the same guy guys I got to be honest we heard a lot about his swing change his stance change he was going to be more patient like and that he had a great quarantine stuff like that looks like the same guy. I got to be honest with you. He's mm-hmm. still not seeing yeah. a lot of pitches. And sometimes when he is seeing pitches, he's taking fastballs right down the middle, I think for the sake of taking pitches uh, and still chasing at breaking balls out of the zone, close to the other batter's box and not making great contact. Like I just don't see it guys. And when Hap was struggling in years past, 
it was obviously a much harder decision and you're you're kind of trying to balance like well we want both of these guys to get going how do we get them in there what do we do but like when you've got Hap looking the way that he does just let him go right just let him go let him play let him feed off that confidence let him become the everyday player that he can be and that you drafted him to be because he's much much closer to that he looks like that and the ceiling is just so much higher. Like uh, right now, it's not even close for me. Hap would be out there every day, and Almora, I think, can contribute in a way as a defensive replacement, and you know, maybe in some uh, pinch hit spots. But uh, you know, today in the game on Sunday, Almora, and you know, Nico struck out in this spot as well. Um, but Nico's also very young, and he also got put behind in the count on a very bad uh called strike call when he was attempting to bunt that he that wasn't a strike so I don't know uh what that was about so just to be fair uh Nico did fail at this in the prior at bat but you know when Almora comes up in a spot like that David Ross let him take the at bat let him play the whole game uh against a lefty with a runner on third and less than two outs if Al can't come through in that spot you know where are you hoping that he's going to come through, right? So yeah. I, that's that's where I am, and I you know, know I know that you don't want to, uh, may, you know, maybe make too quick of judgments and, and things like that. But you know, sixty game season half looks to, like though. the player that you yeah. dreamed about him being since you drafted him. Like I would just get out of the way. Like I just don't. I agree. I, I don't see any need to shoehorn Almora in there. For me, I, I've seen enough. I think he is the player that he's been. And you should just ride what Ian Happ is doing because that looks very significant. And, you know, Happ being mm-hmm. that guy would be a big deal. So uh, that would be my stance on it. But like you said, Brendan, David Ross has done, I think, a, v- a very good job uh, of that in the early going. Happ has started, again, I believe seven of the nine games. Uh, Elmora getting in there against lefties. So I, I don't have any complaints about the playing time thus far. Uh, and, I, you know, that's just my opinion on what we should be doing going forward. I think you, Ian Happ's star is shining right now, and I would not do anything to get in the way of that. The DH. So Schwarber, all the talk about Schwarber going to the DH spot once the National League implemented it. We're not seeing that with David right. Ross. We're seeing them use it continuously to give Wilson rest, to give Caratini at-bats, even to give Fegley some some consistent, you know, quote-unquote consistent at-bats. And Schwarber, Corey, saved the game against the Pirates in that last game through a missile in the, in the 10th inning to get the out. So there's a lot of talk about Schwarber and the DH, but his defensive capacity has improved markedly over the years and that that arm is just off the charts so i gotta give like props to schwarber for sticking with it for ross for i think utilizing the dh in the best way for the cubs you may want to sacrifice some defense in left field for schwarber even though he's like slightly below league average to league average but by doing that you get wilson rested you get Caratini consistent at bats. And in my mind, over the last two or three years, when Wilson left the lineup because of that hamstring injury in August, that has to be because of being used almost exhaustively by Joe Madden. Not because Joe Madden wanted to, more because he had no choice for the catcher's role. So to see Ross use a DH to rest Willie, to give Caratini at bats, I love seeing that. Yeah, absolutely. I I think like really, and just speaking on the broader note, I mean, I think 
for David Ross, there there's some stuff that you could nitpick, but I, I think yeah, really I think so. imp- like impressed. And you know, again, like we we were both, I think, very confident in his ability to be a manager and the decisions that he would make. Uh, but really, seems like he's making numbers-based thought process decisions, right? Like there, there's not a lot of stuff going on where you're like, I don't know where this is coming from. Like, or is this just like a gut thing? Like a lot of, you know, what he's doing lines up with what you would expect. Um, and I, you know, I think like anything that you'd be looking at would really be nitpicking, um, you know, and, and some stuff you have to, well, you know, this is his first go at this and it's obviously a very unique circumstance. And as we've talked about, he's also been given a not good bullpen to work with. So that's a challenge. Um, you know, but like, I, I think anything I would even point out would be like a real nitpick. Like, I think, I don't know if we talked about it on the, the, the show so far, but like, I don't love Hayward hitting sixth. I, I just yeah, don't, I don't, I don't really either. get that. Um, he doesn't look very good at the plate. That is, that is a nip. Yeah, but that, that's like, what I mean. Yeah. It's like, whatever, right? Like, in the grand scheme of things, I think the guys, uh, the, the playing time decisions have been good. The lineups have been good. Um, and, you know, debating about, like, a guy hitting sixth or seventh, right, is really not a statistically significant thing and ultimately not that big a deal. Um, so, yeah, I, I mean, it's it's been uh, a lot of fun for those of us that like to complain and uh, yell about things that are out of our control. It's been uh, easy to watch David Ross is, I think, the the best way of putting that. It's been nice to uh, watch his decision-making process. So uh, let's get into the bullpen. Brendan, I feel like we need like a, a music drop for, you know, uh, bullpen time. Let's talk about the bullpen. Yeah, 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 um, yeah, yeah. Let's just get this out of the way. Let's just rip this Band-Aid off right now um, and and get into this. Uh, Can't happen. Yeah. Like, Craig Kimbrell (laughs) should not be the closer of this team. Uh, I, I for right for yeah, right now. on on, on Saturday, right you know, obviously uh, that game, they go to Ryan uh, first in the ninth with a four run lead, and then it gets cut to a one run lead, and then they go to Wick. Um, you know, David Ross, rightfully, I think, has said, you know, we're going to have those conversations with Craig and not the media about what we're going to do, how we're going to approach that because that's more important. You know, he doesn't owe us an answer. Uh, and that's a conversation that I think can be had internally and we'll see what they're thinking based on who's coming into these games. Um, but just to to speak on Kimbrell, and a lot of it is exactly, you know, a, a similar line of thinking as, as we've said before. Um, I don't know exactly what they should do uh, I, I, am not, you've got too much money into him and he has the pedigree that he has that I, 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 I would hesitate to, you know, I know when you see stuff like this, like a lot of people's instant reaction is, oh, DFA him, get rid of him, whatever. I would take the time to try to see if you can figure it out. Um, I just wouldn't be doing that in definitely not close games. You're insane to bring him into close games. Uh, and I might be doing it like in bullpens, like side sessions, like not even during games. I don't know how they would want to manage that. I don't know, right? I don't have the exact answer. But what I will tell you is he's you're nuts if he's closing games for this team you're nuts if he's even in games you think you can win uh because I think I said this on the last pod that 
especially after that first outing, you were between a rock and a hard place, right? The rock and the hard place that you were between were in some of the outings, he has terrible command that allows him to just walk the entire universe, which is what we saw in that first outing against the Reds. Guys are barely even offering at any of the pitches because they just know he has no idea where it's going. Or you hope that he can throw strikes, in which case guys just tee off on him. Uh, And I think all of the balls put in play in that game on Friday night were over 100 miles an hour. They were all destroyed, right? Even the outs, the the out to Almora, the the ground balls all ripped, right? And the the, the problem seems fairly obvious to me. I I think a lot of people are getting caught up in the idea that he might be tipping his pitches. Uh, That's something that I see a lot of discussion about I don't think that's what it is, and I don't think that's what you think it is, Brendan. And I would feel pretty confident in saying that's not what it is. What it is is you have a guy who can't command his breaking ball, so it's a useless pitch. And the only other pitch he throws is a fastball that, whether it's 97 miles or not, and sometimes we've seen it, it has a little bit of run to it as well. It's not being perceived that way by the hitters, right? Go look at that Josh Bell home run on Friday night. He's waiting for a fastball and he destroys it like he's getting a batting practice pitch. So, you know, we talk a lot about perceived velocity. We talk a lot about, you know, you can look at the Cubs staff for different guys. Like Kyle Hendricks doesn't throw 97, but guys don't hit his fastball like that, right? They're not sitting on his fastball and just destroying it like that. And we've seen other guys get whiffs with fastballs that are not 97 miles an hour. So it's not th- this this game pitching is not just a velo or bust situation. Uh, this is a guy whose fastball is flat. It's not challenging hitters. It's not overpowering hitters. It is something they're seeing very, very easily. And they're just sitting on it. They're sitting dead red. If they see spin, they're not swinging. No one's swinging at his curveball in these games, right? They wait for the fastball. Eventually, he grooves one, and they just take it out of the ballpark. So I don't have the answer for what you want to do here. I know he was working on the changeup. We haven't really seen it. I, I, the, the release point, which I'm sure you'll speak to, is all over the place. But all I can tell you is you cannot use him in games that you think you have a chance to win, whether that's protecting a lead or keeping a game close and allowing the offense to have some some chances, because this is a guy who has very little command and whose pitches are getting destroyed. I, I mean, I, th- there's there's no evidence that you could show me right now that would give me any confidence in him right now. He's getting killed, and this is not new. This is what was happening last year. This is what was happening uh, at the end of his Red Sox career different stuff is happening. It's not exactly the same thing every outing, and it's not the same thing, you know, in all these situations, but I, he's he's just getting killed. I, I mean, so I, I don't <laughs> see anything that would give me any confidence, uh, and again, I don't know how they want to figure it out, but you should not be doing it in the middle of games that you're trying to win. That's my stance on this. What is the purpose of throwing Cambrill in a game situation like the ninth when the underlying issue can only be addressed off the field. And that underlying issue right now looks like it's that that release point. And we, we're not like in the pitch lab. So we are limited by these 
superficial numbers like release point, like horizontal movement, we don't see the pitch grip. We don't see the super slow-mo video. We don't see some of the like side session spin rates. We have no idea what any of that looks like. That being said, if we assume that the side sessions are mirroring what we see during the games, then you can't throw them in a game right now. You have to address the underlying issue. And that issue is this extremely unusual low release point. His release point has been the lowest in the first two games since 2016. It's almost five years ago, Corey. And so something has to be addressed here with Kimbrell. And you can throw in a game if you think you addressed that and got his mechanics to a point that resembles some consistency yeah. in years past. But that's the thing. Like we're like, and I brought this up to you in our in our you know messages. But Kimbrel has sucked for three different reasons now. The first reason was ramping up too fast. Then he hurt his knee. He came back, ramped up too fast. Then he hurt his elbow. Then he sucked. This one's different. I don't know what the explanation for this one is. Maybe it is just the unorthodox ramp up COVID period. But unlike last year, the mechanics, if we're going to use release point to just represent mechanics, they're off. This is worse than last year. This problem is different from last year. So when we were talking about Cameron before the season started, I was more optimistic than you just because I wanted to see what he looked like. But in extreme situations like this, you cannot ignore it. It is too extreme to ignore. So for him to go in a game situation, you have got to address the underlying issue. And I think like they're well aware of this. We we know that, right? Of course, they see what we as fans see from the superficial data and then some. So I'm sure they're aware of it. But if you're looking at these games and you're thinking, you know, maybe Kimbrell needs like this eighth inning spot or this ninth inning spot with, you know, only up five, six runs, can't happen. It just cannot happen until you address the underlying issue, Corey. Yeah. And, you know, I think like just a a good way to like compare and and contrast this, like some of the guys that we've talked about, like this isn't a work through it type thing. Like he just needs outings to get going. It's something far bigger than that. Like, and and again, like I'm not in there looking at all of this. I'm not experienced. Like, I'm not going to sit here and say, oh, he's toast. His career's over. There's no chance he's ever anything close to successful again. Like, maybe I'm closer to leaning to that than thinking that he's going to be good again. (laughs) But that's, that's, you don't need to make like such a strong uh, decision uh, about that right now. But like, just to compare and contrast it to someone like Dwayne Underwood is a good person to, to compare him to just in the sense of when you look at Underwood, yes, he's given up uh, uh, some home runs in these outings, but you look at some of the other stuff. Is he getting whiffs? Is he able to get outs? Is he able to go multiple innings without guys just like teeing off on every pitch that he's throwing? Hitters are, are swinging at different offerings that he's throwing. That's a guy you can look at and go, you know what? I like the stuff here. I like most of these results. I think he can work through this and not be giving up home runs every time he's on the mound, right? With Kimbrel, what are you working through? <laughs> you know what I mean? There, I, I don't. Mm-hmm. You you can't just work through this. This is a massive, massive problem. Guys are not offering at his curveball. He doesn't know where it's going, and they are destroying his fastball. Like destroying his fastball. Like that outing on Friday night was historic for it Craig Kimbrel with how hard guys were hitting that fastball. <laughs> That's one way of saying that. So. 
the, the, there's just different degrees of like what's going on. And I mean, I think Jeffress is another guy that, that's a good person to compare it to. Jeffress's velocity is down, and it would certainly you know, not necessarily inspire confidence that he might be able to be that guy that he was for the Brewers a couple years ago, but he's still getting whiffs. He's still getting outs. He's had multiple successful outings, even with diminished stuff. That's a guy who you look at and go— If if it feels—like, Corey, if it feels confident, like you can—if you're watching these games on a nightly basis, if it feels like you have confidence, don't ignore that. Like, when you watch Jeffress— it is so easy, and I'm at complete fault for doing this, but it is so easy to always have your eyes wander to the bottom right to look at that velocity, right? I'm doing it every single pitch, I admit it. But that's not the end-all, be-all. There are other ways to get people out. And with Jeffries, what he's doing is throwing a completely different pitch mix. He's been throwing Corey mostly splitters. He's throwing splitters at a three to four times greater frequency because he's probably aware of this fastball velocity dipping. There are guys who can make it work when they have the awareness of what is not working. And for Jeffress, it feels right. Like when he's out there, it feels as if he's going to get the outs and he's been doing it. Yeah, I I just think that there's just such a clear difference between like, okay, like I believe in this guy's stuff and I believe that he can, you know, pick up on the things that are working, change some things that aren't, and like we can work through this. And and there's there's uh and a logic to he needs more outings, right? To to feel it and to to get back into it. That's just not where Kimbrell's at. Right. Yeah, where he's at right not, now is yep. a disaster. Like a a complete unusable disaster right now. And I I don't have the solution. I don't know if there is a solution. There are guys that are much smarter than me and that get paid a lot of money to try and figure this out. And whether they will, I don't know. I wouldn't offer a a thought on that. But this is way different than anything else anyone else in the bullpen is experiencing. And it's unusable from my perspective. If they were up or down by eight runs, maybe I would put him in there. But again, like, you know, you have that game on Monday or yeah, in Cincinnati, they were up by a lot of runs and he made it very close, right? Like he took over in not, uh, you know, he didn't blow a, a seven run lead, but I'm just saying like, it's very easy for a game that is out of reach to become within reach when you have a guy who's either just serving up bombs or walking everybody in the lineup. Like it's just too big a risk in in such a short season when this is all we've seen for a significant period. So uh, again, like the exact process here that you want to go in, I'm, I'm not sure, but I am not at all bringing him into games. Maybe if they're up or down by like 10 runs. I, I, I don't know. Like really, I, I maybe I'd like put him in the pitch lab side sessions and see if you can dial in on something. But this yeah. is like a degree of bad that there's just no, like you're nuts to put him on the mound. If his name wasn't Keb Krimble, Craig Kimbrell, it's a hard name to say, I guess. Can't say um, yeah. You wouldn't even be entertaining this, right? Like th- this would be over a long time ago because this is awful, like really awful stuff. Guys, before we get into the series preview, we'll, we'll, we'll get started wrapping up here. Uh, just want to note, you know, some of the, the other performances uh, in this bullpen. Uh, you know, Kyle Ryan's been a very re- reliable guy for this team the last uh, season and, and, you know, early going here. The velocity's down, um, you know, so something that, you, you know, you're going to want to see uh, pick up. He also had that late ramp up, um, you know, but he's a guy that, 
you know, I think you can still trust. And again, similar to what I was just saying, Ryan's a guy who you would allow some room to work through. You know, he didn't have a good weekend here, um, but you'd allow him to, you know, work through this and see if the velocity ticks up, stuff like that, because he's shown you that he can still get out, he can still get those ground balls, uh, and can still be that guy. I think Rowan Wick looks really good. Um, you know, the velocity's ticking back up there, and he just looks like the guy we saw last year. Um, other guys I just want to point out, I know we talked about Sadler a little bit. I think he's 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 still in that Looks group good. for me. Like, he, he's not a high-leverage guy, guy necessarily, yeah. but a guy that you can rely on goes one and two-thirds on Sunday, walks a guy, strikes out a guy, gives up a hit. But, you know, I think, again, like, he's a guy that can be in this mix to at least get you some outs, rely on in, in different situations. Um and Tapera, I, I I still like. Uh, I, I think there's there's something there. He he's a guy that I would continue to try out. Um, Jeffress, I think, is you know going to be someone they lean on and, and someone they have leaned on again. Like the the stuff is not where we've seen it in the past, but he's a guy that I believe you have the confidence in to make it work. And again, like I'm not sure how many of these guys, as this goes on, are, are going to be those guys you look at as, okay, like, you know, we're protecting a one-run lead. This is the guy we go to in the eighth or ninth inning. It's, it's hard to say. I think that's going to be a malleable thing. But I think at this point, with how disastrous this bullpen has been to start this season, it's just about finding those guys you can trust at all. Can they be a useful piece in a larger bullpen? Can they get outs at any point? Can they throw, can they throw strikes? Are they getting some whiffs? I think that's what we're we're starting to separate, and and I think that like Sadler, Tapera, Jeffress, Wick, I think Ryan will be in that group. Um, you know, some of these other guys have been interesting. Uh, you know, like Winkler was interesting on Sunday. I, you know, I think the jury's still out on on some of these guys, uh, but I, I think again, like. It's about kind of figuring out, like, okay, who's in that Dylan Maples group where it's like, okay, we're going to send this guy to South Bend. This is not happening. This is a complete mess. That Kimber group, we're not sure what that decision is going to be, but complete mess. This is terrible. And, okay, we can kind of, like, trust these guys and maybe work towards building out that larger group that, you know, we we completely trust. Uh, But certainly a better weekend for the bullpen here, some of the outings notwithstanding. Okay, so let's preview this upcoming series against the Kansas City Royals. So Monday, we have the Royals coming to Wrigley Field. Danny Duffy on the mound for Kansas City. He is 0-1 with a 5.79 ERA. Alec Mills gets his second start of the season. He's 1-0, of course, because he only has one start with a 3 ERA. That start time is 7.15 p.m. Central. On Tuesday, they're back at it. Same start time, 7.15 p.m. Central. We have Brady Singer on the mound for the second time for the Royals. He's a 23-year-old, uh, well-respected prospect, and then he'll be facing Kyle Hendricks, who's 1-1 one one with a 4.05 ERA, his third start of the year. As of tonight, Sunday night, the Wednesday and Thursday games, which start at 7.05 p.m. and 6.07 p.m. Central, respectively, no announced starting uh, slots yet. So just look on 
MLB.com and Cubs.com. Follow Jordan Bastion for those updates. But again, Sunday night, we do not have those right now. But this is a four-game set against Kansas City. The Cubs are 7-2. and two. They are atop the NL Central by two and a half games. Above Milwaukee, who is 3-3, three and three. the St. Louis Cardinals are 2-3. and three. They're dealing with the COVID protocols. Follow that this week. John Lester did say he does not expect the Cubs to travel to St. Louis and play them this week. So we'll see how that works out. The Cincinnati Reds are 4-5, and five, three games back. And then the Pittsburgh Pirates in the cellar where they belong at 2-7. and seven. So really the only thing I'm looking for in addition to the obvious is just the Danny Duffy first game start. Does Amora, because Duffy is a lefty, does he get that start in center field? Over Hap, or is David Ross going to have a quick hook like he's done so with using Ian Hap almost every single game? And just instead of using Amora against the lefty, just default to Hap playing almost every day, even against lefties as a right handed hitter in the box? Pretty simple. Like, I think the reason that we put this bullpen discussion towards the end is it's the, the team is winning, the team is playing really well. And as we saw this weekend, like, you know, you're sort of starting to see some of these things shake out a little bit. Like the bullpen is still a concern. There, there's no way around that, right? Like you just don't feel comfortable handing leads over to them for several, you know, three or four innings, right? Like, but some of these guys are starting to step up. You're going to start seeing other guys moved out, right? And and different things changing. Uh, but the lead of this season so far is the starters have been great the offense for the most part looks great and the team is winning they're 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 seven and two they are vibing for sure there's no question about that vibe check is really good right now um as we talked about on the last episode like they just look like they're having fun the dugout looks to be in great spirits the camaraderie seems to be at a high like things just feel good about this team right now so you just try to keep pushing that forward uh i think you know soon the schedule picks up a little bit you know you're going to start to see uh, I think they've got the Indians the White Sox you know the Cardinals if that series happens which it probably won't but you know so you're going to have to keep it going uh, as as you start to play some of the more challenging teams that are on your slate for this 2020 schedule but I, this this is great, man. I mean, they're, they're doing everything that you want them to do. They sweep a, a bad Pirates team at home. They've won every series they've played. Uh, and that's really all you can ask. I mean, there, there was a photo that I think uh, Marquis put out on their Twitter that pretty much embodies everything that I feel about this Cubs team right now. And it was a photo of the Wrigley scoreboard with a W after the Cubs swept the Pirates and a rainbow that was going like right in line with the W flag. And that's just kind of how it feels about this this Cubs team right now. They just feel the vibe is good. Uh, so that's what I would be focused on. I mean, uh, you know, again, like I think the bullpen rolls going to be something to look for. Would love to see Alec Mills, uh, you know, kind of finish out another strong turn in this rotation and just keep, you know, the offense rolling. I think what should really have you excited is that the offense has been really good and Chris Bryant's going to come back and play at an MVP level and it's going to get even better folks. So that's pretty exciting. Uh, but other than that, yeah, I mean, like, let's just pretty simple. Just keep this train rolling because right now it's uh, rolling really well. So all is well in Cubdom right now. So with that, I think that's all we have for you. As always, thank you for tuning in to the Cubs Related Podcast. We will be back with you uh, on the evening as the Cubs finish up 
their series with the Kansas City Royals, and we will chat to you about what happened in that time, and then we will uh, either look forward to a series with the Cardinals or potentially nothing. Again, uh, keep your eye on that as you listen to this late on Sunday night or early Monday morning. I think those updates, you know, will probably continue to come out, but uh, that is a situation that is serious and, you know, warrants paying attention to and obviously affects the Cubs coming up here. So just keep an eye on that. Uh, but otherwise, it's, it's, uh, we, we hope you guys had a good weekend. Hope you guys have a, a good week. Uh, and as we sign off here, we're talking about the first place Chicago Cubs. So, uh, a, a hearty, as usual, go Cubs. Annie had an earache on a Saturday of all days. So her mom brought her to Minute Clinic at CVS, where you can see a provider, fill a prescription, and grab essentials like pain relief products, all in one visit, even on evenings and weekends. You can even see us online with telehealth options. For quality, affordable care on your schedule, visit Minute Clinic at CVS. That's healthier made easier. Services vary by location. See MinuteClinic.com for details.